Welcome to the Crypto Campfire. They don't practice sand tortillas or whatever Sublime said, Mitch and the Professor. Featuring special guest Rafi Glantz. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Crypto Campfire Podcast. Today we've got Rafi Glantz, the Community Manager for Celsius Network. Uh, before we start talking to Rafi, we're going to go ahead and listen to some crypto news from the Crypto Gen. Thanks, Professor. Hello, Crypto Campfire listeners, and welcome to the Cryptocurrency News in a Flash with the Crypto Gent. Block One announces blockchain-based social media platform called Voice. USA and Japan are the top sources for traffic in cryptocurrency exchanges. 64% of ransomware attackers launder their money via cryptocurrency exchanges. And Bitcoin price heads back towards $8,700. That's the cryptocurrency news in a flash with the crypto gent. Back to you, Professor. Thanks, crypto gent. All right, Rafi, it's awesome to have you on the show today. Great to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in the crypto space and how you got involved with Celsius? So I will start at the beginning, more or less. I got into crypto uh, pretty much right after I got out of the military. I was working in Forex at the time. And one of my clients said to me, I was teaching technical analysis. And uh, one of my clients from Denmark said, you must look into Litecoin. It is a great investment. And I told him, you're crazy. You're going to lose all your money. What is this penny nonsense? And he said, no, it's only two cents. It's a great idea, I tell you. And I told him he was an idiot. And obviously, I was horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, and I regret that deeply. But about a year later, I started getting uh, much more involved. And I mean, I knew about Bitcoin previously, even in 2012. Because when I enlisted, I was really into Naruto. And the only place I could read it on, you know, basically deployed on base was online. And all these online websites had donations in Bitcoin. You know, they had their address or whatever there. And after, you know, two or three months of seeing it and not knowing what this random string of numbers and letters was, I said to myself, you know, let me, let me figure out what this is. And I looked at it and I said, oh, cool, you can buy drugs on the Internet. And <laughs> so it really took me a while to figure out why Bitcoin is, is such a thing and why blockchain is such, a, such an important uh, game changer for everybody, really. Um, that came for me in 2016. I was getting into it myself, bought some Ether, bought some other crypto, some Ripple, uh, some XRP, I guess you'd call it. And I eventually started working for a company called Zeeks and I was community manager there. Uh, from there, I ended up being an advisor for a couple of companies. I'm still advising a couple of companies just on marketing and uh, blockchain related stuff. and. That's pretty much it. I, mean, I started working for Celsius very recently. So I am writing a book unrelated to blockchain. Uh, my great-grandfather smuggled guns and money from the U.S. to Israel in the 40s to support the Haganah, which were, you know, before we had a country here. And so I'm writing a historical fiction about that. I figured I'll take some time off in the summer. I'll be a bartender somewhere. So literally right below this office with the incredible view is a bar called Mike's Place, mostly an American bar. I go there thinking I'll have uh, just a bartending job. And about three hours after the bartending interview, which, of course, I did get the job, uh, an offer anyways, I saw on Facebook Celsius is looking for a community manager. 
and they wanted someone with experience. I thought, how many people can there be with experience as a community manager? So I sent them a message. A couple hours later, I had an interview, and two hours after the interview, I had a contract. Well, the contract took a couple days longer, but a written offer. So (laughs) That's awesome. It turned out really great, and I have to say that ever since I've got here, it's fantastic and different in a very good way from most of the other blockchain companies I've been with uh, or advising with. And probably the, the most obvious difference is the fact that it's like 60-something percent female here. Um, and that's, that's, yeah, it's not something that you see many other places, and I do think that you get a very, very valuable perspective from it. Plus, it gives us a great angle, you know, because there are so few blockchain women. Ours can be headline speakers, lots of different places. The female brain just, uh, it works differently than the male brain on an intellectual level. Um, mm-hmm. So it's nice to have that different side of intellect. You know, it's, I mean, the same kind of things, but, you know, they just, they can see problems differently. And so, no question. Problems, it's so great to have every angle you can get. So, you know, it's, it's so weird to see all these little male only companies, you know, segue off. I know it's not most Walmart trying to specifically do that. It's just kind of naturally how it happened, but it's nice to have that type of collaboration. For sure. So, it's also great to have a nice company culture like that, where it's not just all dudes all the time. Right. That, I mean, <laughs> it gets old. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it does. Bitch. Rafi. I'm intrigued. Tell us more about that. Um, there's not too much to tell right now. I've only got, you know, 50, 60 pages written, but, um, basically my great grandfather, uh, he had this little tiny, like salash, like, a not a metal exactly, but like a commendation from the state of Israel. Uh, and this was like in the fifties, he never told anybody in the family about it. We all just thought he was a regular Cadillac salesman. And as it turned out, after he passed away, the family found out about it. And there's still very, very few details because what they did back then was mostly working with Jewish gangsters like Meyer Lansky, who is the guy Hyman Roth in the uh, in the Godfather's based off of. So like those were real people, real smugglers, real, in some cases, murderers, uh, although I don't believe my great grandfather was. So obviously all that stuff is not exactly written down and talked about because they would have gone to prison. So it gives me a huge amount of artistic license to make a sort of historical fiction because there are not that many cold, hard facts. Um, But I think it can be a really interesting book. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I definitely keep track of that and, and grab it when you're done. Awesome. Thanks. I got one reader now. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you got two. Mitch, you better be buying a copy too. <laughs> I'm on the way to the New York Times list. There we go. <laughs> nice. Nice. Crypto Campfire is going to set it off. <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it coming in here tonight. That's Say it. <laughs> the Bitcoin's going up. I can feel it. I can feel it. Heck yeah. It's, it's coming. Good times ahead in the market. I, I'm feeling this. This year's going to be nice, and next year's going to be even more, more beautiful. Oh, for sure. I mean, anybody who's really expecting drops to 3K, I don't know what they're smoking, but I'd certainly like to check that out because it just the mining cost is well over that. Plus you have the having very soon, you know, under a year, you're going to have all the, the mining, the mining rewards are cut in half and 
that's why, honestly, that's why I think that we've seen so much institutional investment, all this dollar cost averaging over the last year and a half, because they know it's coming. And they're not yeah, idiots. They're following the big patterns. You know, they, they know when it changed. I mean, if you look at, there's, you know, all the historical halvings, mm-hmm. they all are just before the, the major bull runs. And that's, that's just how it traditionally works in, in markets. Course. You know, there's, right. there's supply there's, that right? happens. Yeah. So you've got instant in- amounts of money. They're not going to just throw it in at any point in time going, well, it's going to be a million later, so we might as well do it. No, they're going to get the absolute best price they can. Right. And that's also yeah. why you see so much of this uh, co- like collaboration to deflate it to keep the prices low. And you see right. so much of this, uh, you know, no movement in the market despite all this good news. And then the littlest bad news, well, it's kind of on purpose. I mean, if you uh-huh. were in a bank, that's exactly what you'd be doing. And honestly, with these new currencies, in a lot of cases, the laws just aren't there yet to make insider trading illegal. Like, in a lot of cases, it's moral. It's just not illegal. So what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, it takes so long for legislation to catch up with tech. You know I mean? It just moves so fast. It does. And that's, that's part of what's frustrating because, especially in the U.S., you have all these different districts. You know, every state has different laws. And not every state legislates at the same pace. Some state legislatures only sit for like 50 or 60 days a year which is crazy to me and they still get a salary. Uh, well, let's not go into politics too deep, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll never end this, but uh, you know, I saw that guy that uh, Brad Sherman, that representative, he's absolutely right saying that if the U S wants to maintain their sovereignty to a large degree, they would need to ban all digital currency because he's, a, a huge portion of the U.S.'s strength and influence comes from the fact that oil and many other commodities are traded almost exclusively in dollars. The dollar is the world's reserve currency. Uh, and if the U.S. were to lose that, that would be a massive blow. I mean, of the, the Forex market, where about $4 trillion are traded every day, uh, $1 trillion of those dollars in everyday trading is just on the euro dollar. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts. Even in his statement, he's, he said it like word for word, you know, basically the, the U S dollars power would be diminished by cryptocurrencies. And he, he said it in right. his statement, trying to ban it. like you, you said it, you know, we, we right. don't know what you're doing. Right. You away. And, but that's the thing that they're right to be scared. They're absolutely right to be scared. China would love it if we're not the, the dominant power anymore. And right. to be honest, it's a little bit of a scary thing. Uh, if you look at what they're doing with 5g technology, um, as much as I have serious problems with a lot of things that the current administration does, that in particular, uh, I, I think China is causing us a lot of issues because they don't have the same laws that we do. In some ways, it's very advantageous to be totalitarian in that way because, for instance, they have huge advancements in driverless car technology. I just saw one of those viral videos of this huge, almost a city in uh, in China somewhere where they have all these automatic trucks and cars all driving on highways with some human cars. And it looks like a normal city, but it's actually a government run test site that costs billions of dollars, but they can do that because they're communists. So they can, the government can just say, okay, we're going to spend a hundred billion dollars on driverless cars because we know that in the long run, it'll make sense. 
they can do the same thing that Elon Musk did with, with SpaceX to bring down the cost of space travel. This is something that I'm extremely passionate about is space travel because I think that that is really the key to us progressing as a species. Um, you know, with Lockheed Martin and Boeing doing the United Launch Alliance, there was almost not a single launch that cost less than $300 million to essentially throw away a giant metal can in the ocean, Right. Right. It's insane. You pay $300 million. You have 50,000 Boeing and Lockheed employees working for months on this giant thing that has to be absolutely perfect and stress tested and beautiful and all this hundreds of million dollars. And it goes in the trash. And maybe a couple of years before that satellite will deorbit itself. Elon Musk comes around and says, hey, I actually want to make a profit doing this. And I don't want to charge the government tons of money. And I'm a business that's not in you know, subsidized at the same level. There's a misconception that SpaceX and Tesla were, were, were not subsidized. They absolutely were. But the government has made an enormous amount of money off of those subsidies because now they're genuinely profitable companies, not companies that are only profitable because of government intervention. Uh, and I think that's a very, very important distinction. So right now, I think the latest figure was $47 million for a Falcon 9 launch, which is, you know, a sixth of Lockheed's cost. And they can still land the rocket. That's a big, big difference. Yeah, it's insane. Right. They're planning, they're hoping to get space travel down to below $100 a pound. If you can get to low Earth orbit for less than $100 a pound, you can have real commercial space applications. Uh, and I think that is the biggest uh, obstacle that we have is that so many of us know what the right thing to do is. So many of us know uh, whether it's alternative energy or it's blockchain or, or whatever the advancement is, we know what the right thing is. We don't have the wherewithal. We don't have the time to convince everybody else around us to join in. Uh, that's part of the detriment of a democratic and free system, which I'm very much libertarian on that. So I would not want to force everybody, even if we know that it's a better option. Uh, at the same time, you know, in 50 years, China could be pollution-free. So, <laughs> it's crazy. A little bit. Absolutely crazy. So, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I was kind of messing around with my stuff. I kind of lost my docs and, and stuff on my computer. But did you, did you go into detail about what Celsius Network does or is for maybe the listeners? I didn't catch it if you did. I did not. I was too excited about space. I'm sorry. Space all day. stuff. Let's go back to space. <laughs> you know, there's actually a really cool technology that allows you to uh, have a wallet that would be geotagged, so you would only be able. It would be linked to a specific satellite, and you could only open that wallet when you're in a specific geographic location. Okay. Nice. Cool. Yeah, it's an interesting extra set of security, um, but not really relevant to Celsius. So Celsius, and the reason I joined this company is because it is, first of all, founded by Alex Mashinsky, who has a very, very long and very healthy track record of success in tech companies. Um, and beyond that, Celsius is applicable to every single crypto, crypto user and every single person who, own, who has a bank account today even. With so many of the applications in crypto today, it's not applicable to everybody. It's certainly not something that could facilitate wide adoption. With Celsius, it actually is something that could facilitate wide adoption because everybody needs someone to, somewhere to put their money, whether it's a bank or it's under your bed or it's a cryptocurrency wallet. You need somewhere to put your money. 
And you want to be able to earn something on that money as well. Because if you hold fiat, it depreciates in value, however slightly. And if you put it in a bank, chances are that you're going to end up paying the bank money when it comes, you know, after ATM fees and all the other bullshit that they put you through. Excuse my language. Um, fucking banks. Yes! Motherfucker. Right on track. As opposed to working with one of those banks where, you know, you put, let's say you put 10 grand dollars into your account, you'll maybe get one and a half percent in a savings account if you're very lucky with a credit union. And again, with fees, you're probably not going to make anything in the end. So with us, you can actually deposit, you know, one of any 12, 15 different cryptocurrencies right now and earn between three and eight to even 10% in sell uh, on those assets every year. You know, every week you get a proportional amount of your APR percentage and that's it. You can withdraw whenever you want without fees. We even pay the network fees, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, you can deposit however much you want. There's no minimum. There's no maximum. Uh, you know, there are other projects like it, but they all have either really restrictive TNCs or high minimums or something like that. We really, really, really want to actually go talk to any person who owns crypto, any person who has a bank account and isn't satisfied with it, which is pretty much everybody, and say, look, you don't believe in Bitcoin? I think you're dumb, but we also offer interest on stable coins, which are engineered to stay worth a dollar. So, you know, go down in value over time slightly, but not the point, again, to argue with these people. Whether you want to keep it in, you know, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin, like I got into a Twitter argument today over Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin on our Twitter page. And I had to say, like, guys, we're not commenting. We're, we're serving everybody. We're a business. You guys want to fight about Bitcoin Cash? Enjoy. I'm here to make money. That's, it's as simple as that. Yep. It's as simple as that because we're not, you know, we're certainly not in business to end up like JP Morgan and all get rich. Alex himself has said on stage multiple times he has his own money. He doesn't want to take yours. But at the same time, we're certainly a business that's out there to make a profit. Otherwise, we're not going to stay around. So we operate almost exactly the way that a bank does with several key differences. So when you have a bank that has, let's say, just keep things simple, 100 depositors with a million dollars in the bank, right? So those 100 depositors get 1.5% on their money. And the bank makes up to 25 or even more percent on that money because they're lending it out on credit cards, they're lending it out uh, in mortgages, they're lending it out all kinds of ways and making a return. They're also investing it, they're doing all kinds of bullshit with your money. And you and I both know that if you go to a bank and you have $20 million in that bank, you own that bank. That bank doesn't own you. It's, you know, if you have $10,000 in the bank, the bank owns you. But if you have all the money in the bank, you own them because they know that if you want to pull it all out, they go out. True. Because your money is always deployed. So the major difference between how we operate and how a bank operates is that when a bank lends out money, it's often in a very risky way because banks have all kinds of insurance and backing. And they also know that they're too big to fail in a lot of cases because the government doesn't mind printing you know, five, 10, 15 trillion dollars to bail them all out, right? Because who cares about our financial system? So what we do instead is we provide pretty much only collateralized loans. Meaning if you want to take a loan for $5,000, you're going to give me $10,000 of Bitcoin. 
And if I have your $10,000 of Bitcoin, you have absolutely no incentive not to pay me back, right? So that's an extremely safe loan. But it also means that you have an advantage because let's say that you have $10,000 in Bitcoin. Well, you know it's probably going to be worth 30 or 40 next year, if not far more, right? So what you want to do is not pay taxes on it yet. So you take out a loan on your Bitcoin for a year at 4%, at, well, 4.95% if you put down enough collateral. At 4.95%, you take a loan. You don't touch that money. You know, you pay it back regularly and you pay the few percent interest that it is over that year, which is far less than the 25% minimum taxes that you're going to end up paying on it. And then by that year, by the time that year is over, your money will have doubled, tripled, quadrupled, whatever you believe Bitcoin will do, and then you'll pay tax on it. So you'll be better off. That's genius. So, hey, and you know, that's not something that we're, we're not saying evade taxes or anything like that. What we're saying is that what I'm saying personally is I know that there are people who do that, and it is an entirely legal thing to do. We are of the opinion that everybody should pay every penny of tax that they that they owe. You know, nobody should be evading taxes. Well, it's called loopholes, right? Right, exactly. There's, so there's when somebody says back doors to everything. Right. When somebody gets upset at Amazon for not paying any tax, they say, Look, that's their job. It's their job to not pay any tax or, or to pay as little tax as they can. It's our job as citizens to convince our legislators to not let them have those loopholes. Right. That's that's a key distinguishing point is that a business is there for no other reason than, you know, to try to make money in most cases, there's a few exceptions, but right. the goal is to, is to make money and be profitable. And so, you know, it's if you can find loopholes and, and use them, then you have to do that. I mean, that's what you have to do. The, the leadership, if you don't, and they would be right to. Right. And and, and that on, on the contrary is the, the like you said, the legis- legislators need to actually do what they need to do to, to do. And I know that's not easy to just magically come up with these perfect tax laws because it's easier said than done. But um, yeah, that's it. It's the, there's that key difference is that everybody puts the blame on the company. Right. Put, put your, uh, put your blame right in, in the right direction and, and do what you can to make a difference rather than, you know, putting your blame on the company that's that's trying to avoid the taxes. Exactly. Yeah, so that's why I love what Andrew Yang says. I don't know if you guys have heard him. I don't know what your political leanings are, but I am huge on Yang because I looked at all the math that he that he set out, and it, it makes sense. I mean, not only just the, the automation stuff and the, the universal basic income stuff, which I was very much opposed to originally because it felt like a handout, um, but just the way Trump won. You know, there was all this talk about Hillary and everything else, and, and the real root problem was that 4 million people lost manufacturing jobs in swing states. That's really what it was. If you, you know, if you look at the numbers. And I think that we need somebody who doesn't really care what's politically expedient and tells you what the fucking truth is once in a while. Yeah. See, I haven't looked into it. I've seen his uh, uh, Twitter page briefly, but I've never really looked into his campaign platform deeply. So, but I like seeing math and I like numbers. So I'm definitely going to have to check it out. And there's so many empty promises in the political world that I usually don't even bother looking too closely. And so if somebody's so frustrating good logic behind things, then that's worth looking into. Agreed.
It's, uh, it's a shame we don't have more of that in the, the debate today. So, know, so Rafi, right? tell us about fight, your fighter jet experience. That that whole experience <laughs> when you were when you were flying jets. For sure. So I was at a crypto conference in Tel Aviv randomly. Uh, I got invited to drinks afterwards. We went to drinks on the beach, and I ended up meeting this random Serbian dude named Vlad, who was very nice. And we had a pretty crazy night of drinking, made friends, stayed in touch via WhatsApp. You know, I, I didn't really think it was anything special. He mentioned that he had a, a farm in Humboldt County in California that grew herbs. And, um, <laughs> herbs. <laughs> and he uh, also owns an airport. And I said, what do you mean you have an airport? And he goes, oh, it's small airport in Serbia. is very nice. And I said, okay. So it turns out Eka Airport was built in 1942 during the Second World War. And it is a really fucking cool airport. They have barracks there. And he is a warbird enthusiast, which is basically uh, fighter jets from the 50s to the 80s-ish, 70s more like. Because, you know, once you get to the F-14 level of aircraft, you're talking about a very, very large plane that costs millions of dollars a year to keep up. And, you know, you're like 10 different maintenance people, and just a lot of work. So it's not really reasonable for a civilian to own one of those, uh, nor is it legal pretty much anywhere. Uh, they have 14 in particular because Iran still flies them. So America doesn't want anybody giving them parts. But because Tomcats are still very, very, uh, very, very good flyers, they have a variable wing. So it gives them some advantages that modern planes don't have in dogfighting because modern planes uh, worry less about dogfighting because they can engage from hundreds of miles away with radar rockets. I was obsessed um, with the Tomcat as a kid. I like I had Tomcat models that I built all the time because I I, I, like, I didn't really know much about the cool shit about them, but I just loved moving the wings in and out. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can't blame you. Man, fighter jets are the coolest thing in the goddamn world. So I was I was with my ex-wife uh, in Romania on a on a vacation. We were hanging out, and we were on the Serbian border, basically in the middle of this fucking forest. And she texts me. She, she she taps me on the shoulder. She goes, "Hey, isn't your friend Vlad in Serbia?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I guess." We'll text him. I text him. Three hours later, he meets us at the border. We drive to, and this is the middle of the night, by the way. So in the middle of the forest, in the middle of the night, we go from Romania to Serbia. It already sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> and we get in his car. He drives us to a hunting lodge. Now, my ex-wife is vegan, so hunting lodge was not the best place to stay, especially with all of the antlers everywhere. It was, not, it was upsetting for her. And uh, anyways, we got up in the morning. We went to the airport. He scared the shit out of me by pretending to have trouble with the plane before we went up, which was really funny in hindsight. <laughs> yeah, hindsight's 2020. But from the second we took off, it was just vastly different. First of all, getting strapped into a jet like that is really, really worrying, and you pretty much immediately have to pee. Because like the second that you're strapped in, you realize you can't get up for a while, now I have to pee. Uh, plus, you're scared. So, the one of the mechanics showed me this little lever I could pull and open like a an air vent, 
so I, you know, so you don't get overheated. And I said, oh, thanks. What's that thing right next to it? What's that lever? And he goes, ah, oh, that's the eject. Don't press that. <laughs> oh, okay. So for about the first 10 minutes, I was sitting there, like, really, really not unable to move, terrified, overheating and sweating my ass off and looking ridiculous on the GoPro because I'm sweating in bright red and terrified to open the thingy because I'm not sure which one is the eject now. So... <laughs> Catching it very carefully, like, please open just a little bit, but then stopping because I'm like, shit, wait, what if it's the eject? I'm not sure now. And I'm sure it was marked, but like, I was freaking out at the time, remember? And also, it's in Serbia. So, it was uh, was an interesting experience. He's an aerobatic pilot, so we did a lot of uh, loops and barrel rolls and dives and stuff like that. I got a couple of videos of him doing ridiculous shit. And I... Yeah, he's a guy who flies in the Nevada air races uh, in Reno, usually, not in Vegas. And, I mean, he has a special G2, a Gallup G2, that he covered up the uh, the holes where the 50 cals used to be so that it's more aerodynamic, and that's the one he uses for racing. The other one's just for funsies. Um, apparently, those planes are only 60 grand a pop, which is surprising to me. I would have thought they would be a lot more. Obviously, upkeep ain't cheap. But, I mean, that's a, not an unreasonable price for a fighter plane. Sounds like a good deal to me. Right? <laughs> yeah, it is. And you're right. then, but gas is 750 euros an hour. So, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> shit happens. <laughs> I will say this. There's absolutely no better feeling in the world. And fighter pilots will say, you know, I strap my jack to my back. And I never got it before because, like, you're sitting in it. But when it's moving, you feel such, just this huge surge of power behind you, and you feel invincible. You know, in a regular plane, I felt, uh, you know, you have some turbulence. I felt uncomfortable. I've been afraid, no question, because I have absolutely no control. I'm in a flying bus. I don't know who the pilot is. You know, who knows what could happen. But in a tiny little plane like this, even when you're hanging upside down, looking at the, looking at the farms pass underneath you at 500 miles an hour, <laughs> because you're moving you are the one rocketing forward at 500 miles an hour you are the one with all of this control it's not uh, it's not a feeling of fear I wouldn't say I, I threw up only 20 minutes after we landed not during the flight so I was very proud of that oh, cool. <laughs> the ground must have felt like it was still moving oh my god it was like I was seasick <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky I didn't pass out because we did, we hit like six, six G's, maybe a little bit more, and uh, I didn't pass out. But some people do at that at that point, and I think he kind of wanted me to because he had a G suit and he just gave me like a onesie and not a G suit. So <laughs> yeah, That's good enough, right? <laughs> I mean, he told me to do the thing where you suck in your gut and you like you flex your legs and your butt so that the so the blood can't leave your head so you don't pass out. He's like, do that. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I didn't pass out magically. So <laughs> good enough nice. for me. Good. Well, you made it. <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> Thank God I wasn't flying the plane. You know, I only got to touch the controls for like 10 seconds. So, <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go back there and get my license because he does have a, a flight school there. So that's like the big dream is, you know, a couple of years, once I'm real set, books written, everything like that. 
spend my time flying and meeting different girls to take flying. <laughs> Let me see. How long does it take to do you know do you know how long it takes to go through that process and get a license? Uh, so for a private pilot's license, you're looking at 40 hours in the air. Um, so that could take you anywhere from two months to six months, depending on how much flight time you could get, uh, how much classroom time you need, and uh, how confident your instructor is in you. So with some instructors, they'll feel very confident with you after 40 hours of flying. And with others, you know, they'll want 60 or they'll want 80 even before you have your license. But to fly pretty much anyone else... You need a commercial license, which is 250 hours, and then to work for an airline, you need 1,500 hours, which is a lot of hours, and most pilots are paying for those hours on their own, so it ain't cheap. So what a lot of people do is they'll get like a bush pilot job, or they'll get uh, not a skywriting job, but one of the ones where you pull one of those signs on the beach, um, and that's basically, you know, you get paid to add hours to your license, which is kind of nice, or they end up being instructors is also good right that's that's not so bad i would have thought it would take longer than that so yeah it's not it's not that bad i uh the, the thing is that airlines just want you uh with a you know an engineering or some degree like that as well in yeah, addition yeah. to flight i don't know if i want to work for an airline though i mean i think it'd probably be a lot more fun to be a bush pilot oh yeah hell yeah i wouldn't want to work for any if i was ever going to do that and, and go flying i would just be flying around doing dumb shit probably probably get my license taken away immediately and <laughs> <laughs> you know there's some canyons uh in the appalachians and the Bitterroot mountains uh in the, sort of the western middle of the country where i've read about canyons where you can fly underneath houses that are sort of up on cliffs which is pretty crazy huh. nice yeah like just being able to fly in America is uh, an unbelievable thing because there are a lot of small airfields. There's a lot of places to refuel, you know, especially in a state like Texas or California. Whereas in Israel, in large part due to the security situation here, there are very few private planes and they are very tightly regulated. Like there is, even if you were an ex fighter pilot for the Israeli military, there's no way you could have uh, even a MiG 21 here. There are there are good reasons. I think that some of the security that you see here is excessive, but at the same time, uh, ever after having lived here, going to somewhere like the Mall of America, and you know, I, I look there and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? They're not checking everybody's bag. They're not. What is this? Like somebody could just come in here with a gun, because you know, after after being in the military, you do think about that kind of stuff from time to time, and it's. Uh, it's really jarring that the vast majority of places in America have absolutely no protection. So over here where you get very used to seeing soldiers walking around with assault rifles, um, which I think is a silly term, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, when you, when you see soldiers walking around with M4s or M16s or, or Tavors or whatever, uh, there are very, very few people here who feel uncomfortable. There are very, very few people who you know, don't know what to do or, or don't like it. Pretty much everybody looks at them and says, oh, great, cool, they're here. That's the way it should be, I think. And I think that in America, we have a huge issue with unemployed veterans. Uh, I know that there are something like 21 or 22 veterans a day commit suicide. And that is a horrifying, like that is beyond horrifying to me. And at least part of it is because it's so hard to find a job. And we are 
are both complaining about all these shootings and not adding additional security uh, where it's needed. So I think that that could be a place where, you know, there is an opportunity for whether it's a, a charitable organization or a, a business organization to take veterans and say, hey, let's start, whether it's community watches or something like that, uh, because those are skill sets that are very much needed. True. That's, that's crazy. You know, it's, it's weird how you get into, you know, certain situations like that where things are the actual norm in some places and other places would consider them just out of the ordinary and outlandish and, you know, stuff like that. Um, I agree with the, you know, the veteran thing and the lack of employment. I think, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing us veterans have to contend with is PTSD. And for us to, you know, to keep that out of our thought process, I think the, you know, the mindset has to be keep occupied, you know, keep them occupied in something constructive, keep them occupied in something positive, something where they're, they're feeling important again and, and, and focused. And I think that would maybe help, um, you know, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know, but I know for myself when, you know, from yourself and I, I can tell you from personal experience with it as well, unfortunately, that, it absolutely does have to be something that you feel good about doing and you feel like you're contributing and it's not just money and it's not just a job because prior to that you were doing something where, you know, your best friend's lives depended on you or your country, you know, you were doing something that meant something and going from that to college with a bunch of dumbasses who never had any responsibility in their fucking lives or going from that to McDonald's, it's not going to be a good transition. Right, exactly, exactly. Got some crazy stories already, but have, have we gotten crazier that we haven't heard about? Or what, what do you what do you have for us there? Craziest or dumbest? Well, so dumbest might be more accurate. Uh, dumbest would be I quite literally busted my ass for my country. Uh, so <laughs> what happened was I was at a riot, uh, which happened fairly frequently. Uh, pretty much every Friday. It's like a really set thing. It's I can tell you more about it. It's hilarious. They have a whole schedule for the riots. We have lunch break. It's all this. It's ridiculous uh, because it's such a regular thing. But <laughs> we, you know, we, we have a pretty standard, you know, uh, way to handle the riots. We shoot tear gas. They throw shit at us. They throw flaming bottles of alcohol or gasoline. We take out the shields. We shoot rubber bullets. Blah 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 blah. Really frustrating because it's the same shit every week. Um, so I had kind of gotten tired of it and I was feeling like a superhero because I had this big ass plastic, uh, shield that's clear. So it's like for riots and you know, you feel like Superman cause you're smacking rocks out of the sky and you're just, you're standing there with an M4. It's awesome. So I turned around to grab a stun grenade and I felt boom rock right in the back and you know, like right on the, on the tailbone. And it's not like you can just stop the riot and be like, Hey, I'm hurt. So I just keep going. You know, what are you going to do? I get back in the vehicle for lunch and <laughs> I am having trouble sitting. Then I get back to base after a very, very bumpy ride. Female doctor has to look at my butt and tell me that she thinks I have a fracture. I spent like, I don't know, maybe four hours at this small medical center in the middle of nowhere getting evaluated and then got like four days off. So, all in all, not the best, not the best decision I ever made. So, the moral of the story is never turn your back on somebody. 
flaming bottles and rocks at you don't turn around right <laughs> good point <laughs> good learning curve <laughs> i didn't make that mistake twice i was <laughs> well, that's good for you um what other dumb shit did i do oh, i touched a fence that said it was electric once to see if it was electric it nice. was not thank god <laughs> it's like getting your getting your little cousin to pee on an electric fence, you know, and as it comes around, all of a sudden he gets zapped. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, yeah. okay, so, Rafi, what, what's your, when it comes to crypto, what is your favorite sleeper token? Uh, sleeper token, I would probably say sell at this point because um, I recently found them. So for me, I have seen a lot of uh, stuff just from the company comparing it to the Binance token, Binance coin model, in that it's based off of the profits of the business in large part, as opposed to just the movement of Bitcoin and similar currencies. So, you know, the more people are investing with Celsius, not, not so much investing, but depositing with Celsius or something like that. Um, yeah, man, I don't, I don't do so much trading anymore on sleepers just because I'm, I was a big trader. I was, you know, in Forex, all this stuff, but now I'm much more hodl gang. Um, as far as sleeper Celsius, definitely for sure. Uh, you know, the business model is built so that the more, the more people actually use Celsius and are earning interest, the more sell will be worth in theory and, uh, the more demand there will be for it. Um, I don't know, sleepers, I think there are some interesting interesting movers. Uh, I am still really interested by, I think it's um, oh, it's something with Ethereum. I can't remember the name of it, but it's, it makes, it's sort of like Wix for, uh, for smart contracts. And okay. it's supposed to make anybody able to create a smart contract on Ethereum without having to know how to code. And I think that's a great idea. I, have not looked into that company for like a year. So I couldn't tell you if they even exist anymore, but the idea is a great idea. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I gotta check them out. I mean, that would yeah. be, that, that's the thing that people are having trouble with, with dApps is, you know, a lot of people haven't you know written smart contracts or even interacted with them before. And so there's needs to be some sort of a tool like that for the people who maybe aren't the most technical, you know, interacting with these, you know, instead of just developers. So, Right. I mean, Wix changed the internet. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think hopefully we'll see something similar with that or with another company that does the same thing. Uh, and Binance coin, I have to, I have to say, because I was very, very lucky to join Binance, uh, pretty much just when it started, because at that time I was in Forex and I was teaching all of my employees about Bitcoin and about crypto. So I said, ah, Binance is this great new exchange, you know, set up an account, bought some BNB for actual exchange purposes, you know, back when it was $2. And uh, I still have it, thank God. Nice. So nice. I was thrilled with how that went. So I got to ask you, if you were a ghost and could possess people, what would you yes. make them do? Uh, depends on who I possess. <laughs> <laughs> Just people in general? <laughs> if I could possess people in general, I would most likely uh, change how they vote. 
and not take all of their money but i I think the biggest thing that i would change if i you know if i really had the power to change how people behaved would it it wouldn't be a specific thing if it was at all possible i would try to just give them logic there are so many people who lack basic logic and common sense and i feel like we would have a much much better world and a far larger bitcoin community if there were more people with that common sense no, no, tying in yeah. tying into that answer right there. What is your most fun account you follow on Twitter? The most fun account I follow on Twitter. Yeah. Um, hmm. It's either Elon Musk or it's one of you guys. Because I will oh, say it's sure you of course. <laughs> I mean I'm on your show. But <laughs> I will say I enjoy Mitch's videos. Um and I love the fact that Elon Musk made a flamethrower and sold it to raise money. I think that's pretty cool. That's cool. That's like, I I think that he is, uh, you know, I spoke about SpaceX a little bit earlier. Uh, He's really a huge idol of mine uh, because one thing that was always sort of big for me was financial security. I'm somebody who plans everything out very, very carefully. And like, I, you know, I check things three times and then I go do them. And almost like Jared Kushner, just kidding. So when I was looking at different cryptocurrencies and stuff, I was always trying to be very, very cautious, you know? Right. Right. Sorry, I lost my train of thought, guys. What was I saying? <laughs> That's okay. We were, we were talking about the, your favorite follow on Twitter. And then uh, oh, yeah. you, mentioned, you, mentioned something about, you mentioned something about videos. What did you mean by videos? You mean our, our uh, broadcasts? No, the, the, the little, whether it's live streamed or not, I don't know, but like the selfie videos uh, that one yeah, of you yeah. guys put up. So those are fantastic because you don't see enough people actually using social media for what it's for. Like the stuff that you guys are doing, saying, you know, trying to go to actual business owners and tell them, accept Bitcoin, accept Bitcoin. That is exactly what has brought us to this point. And what we need to continue doing at the, ma- at the micro and the macro level, if our community is going to go anywhere. I could never tell if, you know, if it was something that people viewed as a good thing or a bad thing. Nobody really, I never really got any huge response from it in one fashion or another. So it's good to hear because we need to know, or I need to know, you know, is this what people want to see? I, I want people to see that, you know, getting off your ass and going out and spreading adoption is a huge tangent in this industry and for us to move forward. So that's why I'm out there doing that more so to help this movement for all of us in the end. Absolutely. I mean, look, I think that one of the biggest issues that we've had in the last couple of years is the big gap between actual adoption and investment. I mean, you know, how much can we really have, all of these institutions and everybody else investing in cryptocurrency when or mostly in Bitcoin, really, when we have no users, when we have no adoption. I don't want it to end up like 2017 again if it spikes to 100,000 and then drops down to 10 again. Right. Right. You know, that's the last thing we want. I would much rather see, you know, 20,000 the end of this year and then even 30 the end of next year. You know, I'd rather see steady growth that makes sense with actual users than than anything else. And I think when you look at uh, EOS, for instance, my, my job before this, I was head of business development at a 
at a payments company and we were working out sort of new blockchain based payment systems in Europe and they're just aren't good options you know with any any transferring system that you're working with it's it's taking way too long it's costing way too much money but people still don't want to adopt blockchain yet because they don't understand it they don't trust it and we need more people to go out and try and tell them what it is right what it is you know there is that that misconception that everybody has is the you know you mention it and it's like you can see the doors in their eyes close, right? Right. And oh, they, it's a scam. Oh, I'm oh, gonna yeah. buy and they they roll What's back that? into their head and they go, Okay, yeah, here we go. And they don't really fully hear you out. They 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 observe you talking, but they don't hear you out because of all the negativity they've heard on the news. And the news right. or he's only busy that day or Right. The news only tells them what the news wants them to hear, all the, the hype and the negative and, you know, not nothing. How often I cannot recall ever hearing about using Bitcoin or Litecoin or XRP as a purchasing agent on the news ever since I've been in crypto. I don't believe I've ever heard it. I've always heard about how volatile it is and how much money this guy made off of getting into crypto and how much, you know, how fast, how big of a bubble it's going to be when it bursts. I've never heard about transaction speeds on the, on the news. I've never heard about how cheap it is to transfer millions of dollars instantaneously within a matter of minutes. With that one specifically, Ashton Kutcher was on Ellen with XRP and he moved a couple million dollars in you know 10 seconds live on tv to show people it could be done but that was a giant charity by a giant celebrity and the focus was not cryptocurrency or blockchain or how great xrp is or how fast you can transfer money it, it was, was how much how money he gave right. right it's not any so I, I agree with you we're seeing the wrong kind of coverage and it's people like us who have to go out there and actually get normal people to adopt this because we're in the same situation at celsius the fact is there are not millions of people in crypto who are going to be our customers. It's just not, there aren't, they, they don't exist. So instead we are going for regular people, you know, not necessarily regular people, but whether it's people in the tech industry or it's people in finance or, or whoever it is, there is no real obstacle today. There's nobody who's going to, you know, stop you from, buying bitcoin anymore the only the only obstacle rafi the only obstacle out there is yourself right that's the only real obstacle that any individual has to overcome to be able to better themselves in any way shape or form is to overcome themselves right so that the truth you know that being said brother we we definitely want to have you back on again there's so many more stories we could hear it's been awesome having you on the show it's been awesome being here guys thanks so much yeah, it's been good to have you on, man. We're definitely going to have to have a part two, and uh, I, I still think we need to get your uh, airplane buddy on the show, too, at some point. So gotta, I got to try to get him. Hell yeah, it's going to be sweet. Looking forward to it, man. Maybe we can get you both on at the same time or something. And I'm Sounds looking like forward to talking to you more on Twitter and talking to you more maybe on the side, you know, DMs, whatever. It, I, I like how you think. I, I really enjoy your conversation and your experiences and the energy that you bring to them. So thank you very much for that. And I look forward to expanding on this relationship, definitely. And speaking of Twitter. Thanks, man. Whatever. Before we go. Try to make it good. There, there was a thing last night that happened on Twitter. Um, uh, at Red Cat Life had started a, a thread about asking normies, quote unquote, 
if they own Bitcoin. And I think that's something that you should try. And basically, we just went out and found some some random people on trending hashtags that had nothing to do with yeah. crypto, and and just yeah. some hashtag do you own Bitcoin, and we got some interesting responses, <laughs> some interesting threads, and um, yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. So I think you should go out there and, and give that a try. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I might even do it on the street. Oh, there yeah. you go. That'd be cool. Do it on video, yeah, man. We'll pass the adoption torch on to you on the beach. On the beach on video. Heck yeah, It'd be great. Looking forward. <laughs> Hell yeah! All so right. we'll definitely share that with you. Sounds good, man. Have Thanks a good afternoon, sir. All right, take care. Good night, man. You too. Take care. Bye bye. Also glad we had Rafi on the show. He's such a cool guy. He's got so many crazy stories, and and it's he's he's fun, man. Oh yeah, he definitely a lot of energy from that guy. A lot of stories, man. We could, we could have talked for hours. I, I bet you, if we were sitting around an actual campfire together, we probably would have gone through a case of beer, probably a fifth of alcohol, maybe a bottle of pop to go with the alcohol. I don't know. Sometimes some guys drink that shit straight, you know. But I definitely think we would have been four o'clock in the morning. Okay, it's time, right? We could have easily talked that long with that guy. One hundred percent. 100%. Sometimes it sucks to have to close these off. It's like, can we just keep going? Can we make this like a three-hour podcast? Well, you know, right. And that's a question that we we haven't got any feedback. I've never seen feedback saying, hey, they're too long. Hey, they're too short. Hey, they're just right. You know, so just me, myself, listening to it, breaking it up into maybe two segments. I like to keep them right around an hour. You know, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably good. I, I mean, I think half hour to an hour is probably pretty sufficient for podcasts so we'll try to stick them around there but you know some days we could go for hours but we can do multiple part series or something like that so we're all right back on again so no worries there we'll, we'll get some more stories out of them well it, it sounds like you were sitting around a campfire last night till about two three in the morning so yeah <laughs> you sound pretty wore out there bud there's no real campfire but uh yeah it was a long night <laughs> All right, guys, thank you for joining us today. It's been awesome. We really enjoyed having Rafi on the show. You know, and guys, like I say it every time, I'll continue to say it. We do this for you. We hope you're enjoying it. We we love to be able to feed our energy to you guys and, and just see the feedback where you're gobbling it up. It feels really good, and it's nice to see people enthused other than a chart you know getting your head out of the chart and getting your mind into something else for a short period of time realizing that there's more out there than just the type on ct and just the screen in front of you right so again we appreciate you listening to the podcast your your feedback is always important to us guys have a great weekend oh yeah so make week. sure you get out there and you find normies on twitter and ask them hashtag do you own bitcoin or do what Rafi's going to do and go out and get it on video on the street and just ask people if they own Bitcoin and just see what you come up with. Just spread it out there. Heck yeah, and I'm planning on I'm planning on doing some more. If you guys like the broadcast that I do, sweet, I'll be able to judge them by how many views they get. You know, so I'll keep doing those. I like doing them. I don't mind it, and I want to keep pounding the pavement. I'm all fired up still. We're going to do this. You guys have a great afternoon. We'll talk to you soon. Catch y'all later. Peace.